Hey, Kerry Jr. the second here, and this is Detroit Free Press's weekly podcast on the line. Before we get into the episode today, we need to acknowledge what's been going on in the world. This week, we saw a historical and alarming moment when Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. It came after more than two decades of U.S. effort in the region and just weeks before U.S. troops were fully set to withdraw. We have seen people cling to a plane, fleeing the country and fall from the sky. There have been reports of shots fired at protesters. Veterans are seeing it from home after putting their lives on the line. Afghan people here in Michigan are worried for their relatives that live in the country and remain unsure what the future holds for their homeland. Politicians are both condemning and defending U.S. choices there, and Michigan may need to prepare for an influx of refugees in need of a safe haven. The main thing I want to get across is that we want to hear from you. Detroiters, Michiganders, international visitors to the Mid-State, if you've got thoughts or ties to the conflict, please reach out to help us tell this story. You can reach us at ontheline at freepress.com. That's O-N-T-H-E-L-I-N-E at freepress.com. Thanks so much, and know we're thinking of you. Okay, now for today's story. This is Kerry Jr. the second, and whenever we get a little bit of warmth, a little bit of sunshine in Detroit, we outside. Um, it's okay if I record this conversation? So, in the spirit of that, we went to Bilal to get people's thoughts on the topic for this week. So you said you, you smoked for how many years? Oh, I started smoking at Camp Dearborn. I was about 17, and I smoked on and off for about 25 years. Started with Newports, too, menthol cigarettes. We're talking about menthol cigarettes. What, what made you stop? My health. Look at me. I'm 65. In April, the FDA announced plans to propose a ban in the next year on menthol cigarettes and all flavors in cigars. That announcement came in response to a citizen petition and a lawsuit filed last year. Some people are not excited to hear this news. Is that good, bad? What do you think? Uh, I think that should be amongst the people. If the people uh, like menthol in their cigarettes, for Christ's sakes, give them a menthol cigarette. But there are others who think there are benefits to the ban. You know, when you limit access to something, then uh, that is, you know, another tool to help you quit. That's Mudu Jones, and she is one of two anti-tobacco experts we spoke with about the menthol ban, yes, but also how we got here, why we need or don't need the ban. She's worked on health issues at the state and local level, runs a community development nonprofit, and she currently lives in Madison Heights, but she was born and raised in the city. What uh, area of Detroit are you from? West Side. Okay, cool. Can I, can I get a neighborhood shout out? Oh, yeah. Shout out to Joy Road, Exit 9, Cody Rouge Community. <laughs> solid, solid. <laughs> okay, great. She grew up around smoking. She also has a pretty vivid memory of smoking ads from back in the day. Growing up back in the um, 70s and 80s, tobacco use was really widespread in the Detroit community. Our parents smoked. They smoked Newports. They smoked Cools, um, you know, primarily menthol cigarettes. This is On The Line, a weekly podcast from the Detroit Free Press where we take a closer look at the top news in Michigan. I'm your host, and this week we'll be diving into how Detroit got hooked on menthol. All right, so where do we begin? 
Because issues of cigarette ads go back before the 70s and 80s. After World War II, Blacks were coming back from the war and many moving from the South to the North moved into segregated situations. That's Philip Gartner, our second anti-tobacco expert. He's with the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council out of San Francisco, the organization that filed the lawsuit against the FDA. All companies, um, the tobacco companies included, were looking for specialty products. There were specialty food products developed for African-Americans, specialty hair products developed for African-Americans. And it became clear to some people in the tobacco movement that there could be specialty product in terms of smokes, different, different, different smokes for different folks. And menthol smoke was for black folk. Bars. Menthol cigarettes are, you know, tobacco products that contain menthol. So, and menthol is an anesthetic, right? So it makes a smoother taste and it's more addictive because it takes down the harsh taste of the tobacco product. The deeper you inhale, the more toxins and nicotine you take in, the more toxins and nicotines you take in. Um, the more addicted you become, the more addicted you become, the harder it is to quit. So menthol, mint, Vicks Vapor Rub, yeah, they're from the same family. <laughs> it's a flavor. Oh, I did not know that. Okay, wow. <laughs> yeah, you you know, you think about Vicks Vapor Rub, you know, everybody yeah. had a grandmama when you had a cold, they rub, rub it on, on your, your chest. chest. So now you add that to a tobacco product. In 1954, tobacco companies started targeting ads towards Black communities. They began to hire um, more actors with Black features. You would have Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, and Elston Howard selling cigarettes on television. Look, in 1963, Elston Howard was selling cools on television and in newspapers. This is at the time of the March on Washington. This is the time of the bombing of the church in Birmingham. The civil rights movement is in full swing. Blacks can't even eat at a counter. Blacks can't get jobs. Blacks are being hosed and, and dogs sicked on them. But the tobacco industry is going, aha, we have, we've hit onto something here. And they began to essentially flood our community with advertisements and gifts and, and, and the like. Well, you know, you've seen the ads. Ones that affected me the most were the ones with where they're playing musical instruments. I play the clarinet and the saxophone. I play a little piano in force. And yeah, those are the, yeah, it, it was cool. It was, you know, it was, it was the thing to do. At that time, advertising, it didn't talk about any health effects. Minu grew up in the 70s and 80s, and she was surrounded by menthol cigarettes. Her mother, father, and grandmother all smoked menthols. In the Detroit community, um, our parents smoked. They smoked Newports. They smoked Cools. So, you know, growing up, it was really cool. When I was five, my mother's probably going to kill me for this, but my mom would send me to the store to purchase her cigarettes. The Tobacco-Free Act, which makes it illegal for youth to purchase tobacco products, didn't pass until 1988. So before that time, kids could go into the corner stores to purchase cigarettes, right? So, and I did as a kid. I didn't smoke cigarettes. I've never smoked cigarettes, but it was no big deal for kids to purchase cigarettes. Unfortunately, I was hit by a car um, when I was five years old, uh, crossing the street, Joy Road, to get my mom a pack of cigarettes. You would have thought that that would have made my mom stop smoking cigarettes. 
but it didn't. Could you speak to um, the history of cigarette advertising to the Black community, what it looked like, why it was done? Yeah, so um, one vivid billboard was Newport. Uh, it was the advertisement of a beautiful Black couple playing Frisbee, you know? So it was about that image of family and togetherness and having fun at a time when the crack bomb had exploded in, on the west side of Detroit. My community and drive-bys were common. It really relayed uh, images of hope, and things that, you know, in our community, we aspired to have, but didn't necessarily have. And I remember, you know, the days of the cool jazz mix festival, you know, it was opportunity for uh, us to see um, great artists perform um, for free. But the cool jazz festival was a marketing strategy by the tobacco industry to specifically target African-Americans. They occurred, uh, you know, all across the United States in Black communities. And it was really a way to connect Black people through music um, to emotions and promote advertising of menthol cigarettes. Cool was not C-O-O-L, it was K-O-O-L. A local advertising company and, you know, they were given a contract to hire models at $10 an hour. And they wore these all gold one-piece jumpsuits. And their only job was to go to the festivals and pass out these free uh, cigarettes. They were called True Gold at the time. You know, and it worked. One of the things that I say about that, you know, now that I look back on it is, man, there were some great Black jazz artists who played music. And the tobacco company was playing us. Minu, menthol, and the FDA after the break. Hi, my name is Phoebe Wall Howard, and I am an automotive reporter at the Detroit Free Press. This year, we have covered an incredible range of stories, people, products, business trends, everything about cars and the people who design them, as well as the people who buy them, whether it's the Ford F-150 all-electric Lightning or the Mustang Mach-E, the hot little Maverick, or a profile on the chief engineer, Linda Zhang, who plans to transform the industry with her vision of electrification. We also do profiles of executives behind the scenes, how things come to be, and in the case of Ford Motor Company, why Oreo cookies played such a major role in the development of truck design. Many, many people reach out and ask, how can we support your work or how can we read more about this? And one of the easiest ways is to subscribe to the Detroit Free Press. We are the most reasonably priced in the whole country. For $1, you can receive six months of digital access for all of my work and that of my team on the autos coverage, as well as news, politics, education here at the Detroit Free Press. To learn more, head to freep.com backslash special offer. Thanks so much. We're back. This is On the Line. I'm Carrie Jr. the second. 
And I'm talking with Minu Jones of the nonprofit Making It Count and Phil Gardner of the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council about the history of menthol cigarettes and a recent announcement that the FDA will seek to ban it. We do know that the work has been going on, like your work has been going on for decades to do this. What has that fight been like? And what does it feel now to get to this point? I was working um, in tobacco back in 2009 when President Obama signed the Tobacco Cosmetic Act into law. So that law gave the FDA authority to regulate the manufacturing, marketing, and distribution of tobacco products. So that was a win, right? And so almost immediately, the FDA banned flavored cigarettes. Before that time, tobacco companies had started marketing flavored cigarettes, strawberry, pina colada, uh, all of that. So I was real happy about that. But it was almost a slap in the face to know that menthol was excluded. Menthol makes up 36% of that market. It's a huge chunk. That's Phil again. That's what the deal was, is they wanted to keep their profit more. Yeah, you can get rid of licorice cigarettes, you can get rid of strawberry and cigarettes, you can get rid of lemon and cigarettes, you can get rid of all of, the, all of that type of stuff. But you can't get rid of menthol because that would have crushed the industry. Nine out of 10 African-Americans smoke menthol cigarettes. We have the highest rate of death and disease associated with tobacco use. And here we are and the FDA excluded it. So it took tobacco control advocates, you know, to really push the FDA to respond. And finally, you know, after being sued, they now, you know, have agreed that there's enough scientific evidence out there um, to go ahead and move forward with the ban. Why now? Because Black Lives Matter, because we, you know, are finally at a point in our nation where uh, people are paying attention to health equity, you know, social determinants of health and uh, social injustice, especially uh, in the Black community. The FDA has said it was evaluating the issue and supporting research to understand the differences between menthol and non-menthol cigarettes and the impact on health. In a statement, Altria, which owns Virginia Slims, did not comment on its company's past actions. But in speaking to the idea of a ban, it said a better approach is to support marketplace alternatives. It said, quote, we share the common goal of moving adult smokers from cigarettes to potentially less harmful alternatives, but prohibition does not work, unquote. Imperial Tobacco, which owns Cool, and R.J. Reynolds Tobacco, which owns Newport, did not respond to requests for comment, but both have publicly raised concerns with the science behind a ban. According to USA Today, the final ban could take years to implement. After a formal proposal, there's public comment, and likely a court battle with the tobacco industry. I I went out and spoke to some former Detroit residents, some other locals that smoke menthols. They feel like they should have a choice. I think that it should be a choice if someone want to quit smoking on their own they should be able to do it, but you, I don't think that it's fair that they just banned Newport. What yeah. is your response to them, uh, the people who say that? You know, my response to that is, it's about protecting life. This is not about picking on us. This is about protecting us. We were left out. 
And now it's time for them to include us. It's a human rights issue. We all have a right to health. And we are the largest consumer of mentholated products. It's about saving lives. I asked them, you know, if or when at this point this ban is implemented. My question is, if you if you want to stop, and if they ban the cigarettes, would you stop smoking? No, I'll just find something else to smoke, you know, so. I've been smoking so long, it, you know, can't stop, you know, unless you really, really want to. People going to always find a way to get high off of, you know what I'm saying, something. Or find something, you know, go a different country, city, whatever, just get cement on. So. And then I also got responses that said, you know, I might, I would quit, but people will find their own ways to get menthol cigarettes. I truthfully feel like even if they ban it, uh, people are going to still find a way to, uh, you know, make their own bootleg menthols. You know, they'll do anything to, or it'll create a market for it, if you know what I'm saying. So, What is your response to that? Well, first, you know, it's the, it's the FDA's responsibility, as I said before, to regulate mm -hmm marketing, manufacturing, and distribution. We should note too for everyone listening that the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, has also expressed concern with the idea of a ban. They say it could lead to more police interaction with the black community. The FDA has said they are focused on sellers, not smokers. Right, so mm -hmm. this is not about, uh, you know, somebody making their own cigarette at home. <laughs> you know, this is about the product that's in the cigarettes that is harmful. One thing that was really interesting is one of the guys I spoke to said how it was a habit. It's not like they don't, it's like they see the problems. They understood there was a problem. They knew it was bad for their health, but the habit, but he was, he was just like, it's just a habit. It's just like, I can't let it go. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, um, just when you were talking, Carrie, uh, it, it brought me back to my days working um, at the Bureau of Substance Abuse uh, for the city of Detroit. Uh, mm -hmm. And there were people, you know, who would come to me and say, Minu, I was cross addicted. Crack, heroin, mm. alcohol. I've been able to kick the habit for all three of those and I cannot let go of this cigarette. What do you believe this ban does in the overall fight for, for health equity? Those people who were saying, you know, yeah, the ban will be implemented, but I'll find something else. What else is necessary to help, you know, bridge that gap of understanding so that the people in the community kick the, the unhealthy habit? Yeah, so you know, to commercial tobacco drives the three leading causes of death uh, among Black Americans, heart disease, cancer, and stroke. And I don't know about you, but most of us have lost someone to cancer, right? Mm -hmm. So when we are thinking about the overall health of the Black community, um, we are, you know, looking at ways to reduce and prevent cancer, you know, and so banning menthol will contribute to lowering those numbers. Policy work amounts to community level change. Many people would think, oh, they said they're, they're, they're banning menthol. And so, you know, the fight is over. The fight is a long way from over. The take home message is that at the local and state level, we have to keep up the fight to ban menthol. That's where we are. We're looking to save many lives.
In my mom actually just quit smoking cigarettes three years ago. So I'm very proud of her. But I begged and pleaded growing up. Our parents and grandparents, um, you know, they really suffered. Um, my grandmother died uh, from emphysema. Uh, my aunt died from lung cancer. Uh, and my father currently battles emphysema and COPD due to um, smoking. So I, I'm all about protecting uh, my folks. I miss my grandmother. I, I worry about my father every day, especially during COVID. You know, his lung capacity is very low. You know, and I would say for people that are trying to quit, you practice smoking every day. If you smoke a pack, you're practicing 20 times a day. You know, so don't give up on quitting. Quitting takes practice, just like you practice having the habit that you have. It's possible people do quit. Minu Jones, thank you for sharing your story and for going deep on this with us and just giving us your time. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie, for having me. Additionally, thank you to Philip Gardner, founding member and co-chair of the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council. Thanks to Freep reporter J.C. Rindle for his work on this story, as well as Brandon Taylor, Ali Saad, Yvonne Glover, Akeem Weaver, and Elwin Walker, who spoke to us at Belle Isle. This has been On The Line. I'm your host, Carrie Jr. II. The show is produced by me, Darcy Moran, and Tad Davis. Marianne Struman and Anjanette Delgado are our executive producers, and Peter Batia is our editor. Don't forget to like the show, to rate the show, and to subscribe to it. Thanks for listening. See you next week.